Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. I'm going to start with some review. This would be the joy of the Lord. Part two. Amen. I can thank you for that one amen. John 15, starting with the fifth verse, I'm going to read in the New King James Version. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Hallelujah. That ought to give somebody some joy right there. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. Did you know Christ told this to his disciples on the very last time that they were together as a group? And it was the night before he was marched off to be crucified. And so it must have been really important for it to be among the last instructions that he gave his disciples. Amen. Amen. The joy is the, of the Lord is something that every one of us need. It's one of the most important reasons that, uh, uh, is because of what the prophet Nehemiah said in the latter part of verse 8. Or I'm sorry. <laughs> chapter 8, verse 10, the latter part of chapter 8, verse 10, he said, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So our strength comes from having a relationship with God. He doesn't just pour joy on us. He doesn't just pour strength on us. It comes through a relationship, a knowing of who he is and what he is in us. And, and it's knowing that Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, it's knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. It's knowing that he's our healer. It's knowing that he's our provider. It's knowing that he's our protector. It's like having a big brother. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, I had a big brother, and he would stick up for me. He wouldn't let the bullies mess with me too much. Amen? I said too much. Once in a while, he did. But it's all because of that relationship that we have with him that we can get this joy and we can draw the strength from him. But if we don't have a relationship, there's not going to be any joy. Not the joy of the Lord anyway. You might get the joy of the world, but that's only short-lived. It's like being happy. I got a new car, a new purse, a new piece of jewelry or whatever, and it makes you happy for a moment. But the joy I'm talking about is internal, and it's lasting joy. Hallelujah. And the joy of the Lord doesn't come from external things. Uh, it, the joy of the Lord is internal and it makes a big difference because it's something you can have when things around you on the outside, external circumstances ain't going the way that they should. You can still have this joy. 
So don't let your life or your feelings be controlled by what's going on around you. Let it be controlled by your relationship with Christ and the joy that he gives you, the strength that he gives you. Because all those things around you are temporal and they're subject to change. Amen. Look like some of you can use a change. But especially don't let these things, these external things dictate to you how you're going to react and how, what kind of mood you're going to be in. Don't let those things uh, change you on the outside. Uh, go with what you have on the inside, the internal joy that you have on the inside. And then no matter what's happening on the outside, you could be going through hell in a handbasket, but you can still have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. See, when you have the joy of the Lord, you have a joy that goes beyond external circumstances. See, we can't go by our feelings. We have to walk by faith. And sometimes the feelings are so strong, it has to be faith that you walk by. Because if, if somebody makes you sad, you're sad. If somebody makes you angry, you're angry. And you just keep responding to these external circumstances, and it's sucking the joy right out of you. Amen. The devil got a sump pump. But this joy is consistent no matter what's going on around you. Now, I will admit today that, and I'm going to show you a solution for this, but I will admit that sometimes we lose our joy. Am I the only one? Sometimes there's things that happen that will cause us to lose our joy, at least for a moment or two. But then we got to get it back. Amen. And we can't be overtaken by that circumstance or the thing that stole our joy. But, you know, this type of joy stays with you. And like I said, there might be a momentary lapse here and there, but it comes right back. Amen. So, you know, we too easily react to everything that's going around us, the external circumstances. And, and we allow them to get inside of us. And that's the problem, because when we allow them to get inside, they begin to push on our joy. They begin to push our joy out. And we don't want that to happen. We want to be so full of joy that nothing else can get in. There's no room for nothing else. But uh, when we allow it to get into us internally, it affects us negatively. It affects our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our entire soul is affected by it. Our mind is distracted because all you can think about is the problem that you're going through. Our will is, is affected because all, all of a sudden you don't feel like doing anything. You don't want to do anything. And then our emotions, because they're all over the place. We're discouraged, we're sad, we're sorrowful, we're crying, we're miserable. Uh, and, and it even affects our physical health and because it stresses us. And it's a scientific fact that's been proven by doctors and scientists that stress affects our physical well-being. Amen. It raises our blood pressure. It causes all kinds of internal problems. And it actually can make you sick. So we don't want that kind of stuff getting into us. We want our joy to remain full so we can't be affected by the stuff going on around us. See, when we allow those negative circumstances to push our joy out, then we start dealing with pressures and stress that God told us that he doesn't want us even to deal with because of the things that it causes. And, and, you know, God says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about nothing. But in all things by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known, be made known unto God. Why? He don't want us worrying. He don't want us stressing because he knows the effect that it will have on these frail human bodies of ours. 
So we, you know, and stress just impacts us so many different ways. God wants to get his joy into us. And he wants his joy to remain in us so that our joy will be full. And remember that word full in the Greek means jammed to the top, no room for anything else. So we can't have room for discouragement, depression, disappointment, hurt, sorrow, sadness, or, or, or any of the dramas of life. And that's why external circumstances don't affect this joy or shouldn't affect this joy. But let's review three of the keys we learned last week to getting and maintaining the joy of the Lord. Key number one is to abide in Christ. And abide means to live, to dwell, to take up residence in. And we learned that we do that by having a relationship with him. Walking with him, talking with him, communing with him, listening to him, fellowshipping with him. He talks to us and we talk to him. It's, it's dialogue. It's not monologue. It's a two-way conversation. And you'll never have the joy of the Lord without having a living relationship with him. You've got to have that relationship. The key to joy is in a relationship with him. And, you know, I, I'm pretty plain. I used to think I had to pray in King James language, you know, and I had to be so careful in, in, about what I said and how I said it. And yes, you do need to be reverent when you're with God. But I've got to the place now where I talk to him like I would talk to anybody that I'm in a relationship with, you know. And I don't talk in King James anymore. I just, you know, I ask him, what do you think about this? What should we do about that? What about this thing that's coming up? You know, and I just converse with him. And uh, I don't always hear an answer right away, but I could go to bed a night or two later and I'm laying there and boom, the answer comes. And then sometimes he talks to me right then. But that's a relationship. And, and you got to you got to uh, conduct your prayers in such a way that you give him time to talk back to you. See, we, we got so many needs. And when we do take time to pray, we bombard him with the things that we need. And then we get up and say, thank you. Amen. Wait a minute. I got something to say to you, but we don't give him a chance. See, it's got to be dialogue. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then key number two, let his, his words abide, live, dwell, take up residence in you. How? By meditating and memorizing the word. Get the living word of God down in your heart. See, you've got to spend time listening to the word, reading the word, and meditating on the word. And, you know, what I'll do is I'll, as I'm reading my daily devotions, I'll come across a, spic, a scripture that stands out to me. And it's, uh, I don't know, kind of seems like it's more per, pertinent to me than the other scriptures. And so I'll write it down. Or I won't write it down. I'll copy and I'll paste it into my notes in my phone. And then every time I think of it, I'll look at it and I'll read it in one line, two lines, the whole thing. One line, two lines, the whole thing. And I'll do that all week. And by the end of the week, I've memorized the scripture. Amen. If you do that every week, you have a lot of scripture in your heart. Amen? Amen. Number three, abide, live, dwell, take up residence in his love. Understand the love that God has for us. See, our society teaches us a kind of love that's selfish, a kind of love that is not like God's kind of love. But when he talks about love here, he's talking about a God kind of love. And there's a big difference. 
because as messed up as we are, He still loves us in spite of everything that we've done and everything that we do and everything that we're planning to do. He still loves us. It's an unconditional love. And, and He knows what you're thinking and still loves you. He knows what you're going to do and still loves you. And, and so as I was reviewing this and going over it, it was like the Lord was telling me, let's camp out here a minute. Because he wants us to make sure that he understands the kind of love that he loves us with. And so that's what we're going to do. In the Greek language, there's four different words for love. We're not going to go over all of them. Uh, but every one of them expresses love in varying different degrees. And I know I've taught this before, but, you know, we only got one word for love. Love. And so you have to love your wife and love your pastor and love fried chicken with the same love. But my love for fried chicken, although it's intense, it's not as intense as my love for my wife. And so there's different varying degrees of love and, and we can't express it in our language, but you can in the Greek language. And that's one of the reasons why the Lord came when he did in the fullness of time when the Romans built roads to the, to the entire world and the Greeks, uh, they were speaking the Greek language at that time uh, in most parts of the world. And the Greek language was so perfect that God says, let's write the Bible, the New Testament in the Greek, because it can express more of me than the old English Bible or King James. And so that's, what, that's why it's in the Greek language. But the love that God has for us is called agape love. And it's the highest form of love that can be expressed by anyone in any language. So if I had God and fried chicken in the same sentence, I would say I agape God, but I sorge fried chicken. So it's a lower degree of love. And, and my love for God is the highest degree. And this is the kind of love that he's talking about here. And when he says abide in my love, and so agape uh, love is a love that says, I will give requiring nothing in return. Is that how you love your brothers and sisters? Is that how you love your wife? Is your love conditional or unconditional? Is it based on how they make you feel and the return you get from them? Or is it based on God's love that you're going to love them whether they give anything back at all? That's a hard love, isn't it? See, we, we just, our love is so based on feelings. You know, if you make me feel good, I love you. But when the feelings stop, I don't love you. That's why the divorce courts are full, both in the world and in the church. We're running about neck and neck in divorces. And that's a dirty shame that uh, we have as many divorces in the church as they do in the world. Amen? Hallelujah. But agape is the highest form of love that anyone can give. It's the kind of love which God has for us and that we are commanded to love him back with and to love our neighbors with. That same kind of love. You know, you do something for your neighbor and you don't expect anything in return. It's not tit for tat. There's no quid pro quos uh, with this type of love. You either you love unconditionally and be, because it's not based on feelings, it's a love that's uh, based on a decision. You decide to love somebody with this kind of love. It has nothing to do with feelings. Amen? Amen. So it, it, it takes practice to do this. 
And that's why God shed his love abroad in our hearts so we have a good starting point. Amen? Amen. So uh, the word love that Jesus is using in John chapter 15 here, along with most of the use for the word love in the New Testament, is agape, God's type of love. The highest level of love that there is. And it's the kind of love that always seeks the other person's highest good. Uh, it's unselfish love that loves unconditionally. Even when someone is undeserving of your love, you love them anyway because you made a choice to love them. Not because of what you can get from them or how they make you feel. It's the kind of love that will cause someone to lay his life down for another person. And that's what Jesus did. He demonstrated that love. So it's also the same word that is used in John 3.16 that says God so loved the world. God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. If God didn't love us with an agape love, he wouldn't have gave his son. If Jesus didn't love, love us with an agape love, he wouldn't have came. Right? Because that would have been uh, for him... Uh, to love us with a selfish love or a love that was somewhat less than agape, he wouldn't have came. Because there was nothing we could give him in return. What could we give God? We can give him our hearts. We can give him our loyalty, our service. But, I mean, what, what do we have that God needs? Right. Nothing. Amen. And he loved us anyway. Right. He loved us by choice. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. But Jesus said in, in John 15 that he wanted us to bear much fruit. And, and love, if you will, is, and I didn't get this from God, or, or <laughs> this is just my way of expressing it because I couldn't think of a better word. Love is the fertilizer for the fruit that we bear. Amen. In other words, without love, you're not going to be able to bear any fruit. Right. Amen. So the Apostle Paul listed those fruits in Galatians 5. He said the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. In other words, if you're living a spirit-filled life and you're being led by the Spirit, you will produce these fruits. Love, number one, the fertilizer. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many are you producing? See if any of them need a little fertilizer. See, it's no coincidence that love is the first thing on the list of the nine fruits of the Spirit. All the other fruits are derived from it. They flow from it. Uh, in other words, without love, there'll be no other fruit produced. And then did you notice that the first love or the first fruit that love produces is what? Joy. Joy. So without love, there's no joy. Without love, there is no peace. Without love, there is no faithfulness. It's all based on love. That's why I call it a fertilizer. We need to fertilize our lives with the love of God, the agape love, so that we can produce these fruits that cause us to look like a, a Christian. Amen. Amen. And it's through our relationship that the inner joy of Christ's love for us and our love for him produces this joy, and it should be revealed in our very countenance. You know, I always joke about your faces and stuff well that's what it means that it should show up in our faces and, and you know like uh, in, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy 
Well, you ought to have a little joy on your face once in a while if you've been in his presence. And we know that we're always in his presence because he's omnipresent. He's always here. And like I said last week, when you got up uh, out of your bed, he was there. When you brushed your teeth, he was there. When you got in your car and drove to church, he was there. When you got to church, hopefully he was here. But he was there. He's always present. But we don't realize it because we don't take the time to stop and think about what the presence of the Lord means. We just don't recognize his presence. He's here, but we don't recognize it. And until you recognize it, you can't have a relationship with him. Because, you know, uh, we have entire denominations that have 40 day fast because they're seeking the Lord. Let me tell you something. You don't have to seek him. He's there. Amen. Amen. And so we ought, to, we ought to get to the place where we know that he's there. Yeah. And, and we should act like we know that he's there. Would you do the things you're doing if you really believed he was there with you? No. Would you go to the places that you normally go to if you knew he was there with you? No. Why? Because you recognize his presence. And, and, you know, I was always respectful. I was a grown man and I wouldn't smoke in front of my grandparents because they didn't like it. And my mother was the same way. She was a grown, she was older than me, believe it or not. And she wouldn't smoke in front of her parents. Why? Because of respect. They, she recognized their presence and wouldn't do anything disrespectful to them. And that's the way we should be with, all the time because God is, we're in God's presence all the time. Amen. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And if you're full of this joy, it will show on the outside. It will show in your countenance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But if there was ever an attribute deserving of a place next to love, it is joy. And that's why it's the second fruit of the Spirit. See, God loves us with an agape love, a love that is unconditional, a love that is not selfish, a love that doesn't expect anything in return. And that's the way we need to love. Amen. And and, uh, I'll even go one step further and say the Bible actually teaches us that if we loan somebody something or loan somebody money, not to expect to get it back. Why? Because if you're expecting to get it back and you don't, what happens? you got a problem with that person. And so, yes, you should get it back. If you loaned it to them, you didn't give it to them, then they should give it back to you in better condition than they got it. And if it's money, they should certainly pay you back at least the amount that you gave them. And so, but to expect it would would just set you up for disappointment. So God says, don't expect nothing back. If you get it, praise me for it. If you don't, just move on. Keep on loving. Keep on walking in love. Amen. I've got loans with, or people have loans with me that have never been paid back, and I don't expect them to. I just moved on, said, praise the Lord. You needed it more than I do. Enjoy it. And one of them was pretty, pretty sizable. It was in the neighborhood of $3,000. Never got it back. Never asked for it. Never expected it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But key four had a sub point. I thought I had three keys last week and wound up four, so I'm going to call it a sub point this week. 
But it had a sub-point which was keep or guard his commandments that we are to walk in love towards our neighbors. That's our commandment, to walk in love towards our neighbor. What kind of love? Agape love. A love that doesn't expect anything in return. And it's extremely important that you do this if you want the joy of the Lord. Now turn with me to Hebrews 12. That was all my introduction. Now I'm ready to preach. Hebrews 12. Let me show you the power of joy that Christ demonstrated the day after he taught his disciples this. He's with his disciples for the last time. He taught them this, among other things, like the comforter is coming and, and things about the Holy Spirit and so on and instructions on what to do. And right along with them, he taught us this dissertation in John 15 uh, about being full of his joy. So it must have been really important for him to do this. Amen. Amen. So now it's the next day and his uh, the week of passion starts for him. And in Hebrews 12, 1, I believe Paul wrote it, and some, some would disagree, but I believe Paul is the author of Hebrews. He says in verse 1 of, of chapter 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, and that cloud of witnesses would just come out of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the Faith Hall of Fame, so it's that cloud of witnesses, and it's also included in them cloud of witnesses is the people that you know that died and went to heaven. They're part of that cloud of witnesses cheering us on now. But he said, in the presence of this so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. This is in the, King, the New King James. The King James says it so easily besets us, but it, it means ensnares us. That's what sin does. It, it ensnares you. It traps you. It catches you. Amen. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I've always read that in the King James and it said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And that puzzled me. How could you run a race with patience? You can't be patient in a race. You have to run full out hard if you want to win. And so I began to realize that that word patience actually means endurance and perseverance, steadfastness and things like that. And the King James is the only one that translates it patience. So before we continue reading, let's take a little side journey. Because as I studied this passage, that word endurance jumped out at me. I mean, it didn't, you know, flash or anything, but it just seemed pertinent to me at the time. And so it stood out a little bit. And so I began to look it up and do a word search on it. And uh, remember what James said in James chapter 1? I quoted it last week. He said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, tests, or trials. Something is going on in your life. There's some adverse circumstances. Yeah. You're being challenged in some kind of way. Yeah. And he says, count it all joy. Yes. And so, and then he says in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith works patience. Okay, I can understand that. It's going to teach me patience. And then he says, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. 
If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give to all men liberally and upbraideth not, or doesn't withhold it, and it shall be given him. So why is he asking us or telling us to ask for wisdom? Because he's talking about a test or trial. How are you going to get out of it? Ask him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. You're up and down, sideways, uh, all kinds of different ways. Why? No faith. That's right. No stability, no steadfastness. And then he says, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if you're lacking faith and wisdom, you're... You're a double-minded person. You're unstable in all your ways. And, and he tells us, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So if you're not in faith, you're not steadfast, uh, then don't even ask for wisdom because you're not going to receive anything. Amen? But that word patience, like I said in the Greek, actually means endurance. As a matter of fact, the Amplified Bible says, be assured and understand that the trial proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience and notice patience was the last attribute yeah. the first attribute was endurance the second steadfastness and the third was patience so we should develop endurance yeah. perseverance and patience when we're going through tests and trials yeah. and that's why another reason why he said count it all joy because you need joy, the strength of the Lord to get you through it. Amen. So when James says run your race with patience, it makes sense now because he's actually saying run your, way, your race with endurance, steadfastness, and patience. Yes. So where does that come from? It comes from the joy of the Lord. All that stuff, the patience, the endurance, the steadfastness, it comes from the joy of the Lord. In other words, James is saying, do it with joy. Don't just struggle through it, but do it confidently by faith and do it with joy. Amen. Amen. And you'll come out on on the other side victorious because your joy is a strength that you need to endure. So I want to make sure we have an understanding of endure. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 again. Verse 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us or ensnare us, and let us run with endurance, steadfastness, and patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured with steadfastness and patience the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the joy that was set before him. He said, when I get through this, I'm going to be back home with my father sitting at his right hand in the throne. Hallelujah. This may be a tough thing right now, but I'm not looking at this. I'm looking at the end result. This is not my end. This is just a means to get there. And so I'm going to do it with joy. Hallelujah. So he's our example. He said, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then it says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. 
Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In other words, you didn't go through what he went through, yet he endured it with joy. Hallelujah. And whatever weight is holding you back, he says, lay it aside. That word hate, uh, hate actually, or, or that word weight actually has to do with uh, arrogance, conceit, and pride. If you look up that word weight in the, in the Greek, it has to do with arrogance, conceit, and pride. Those are three enemies of the cross. Yes, you don't want to be any of them. And Paul is saying, you're so full of arrogance, deceit, and pride that you won't humble yourself enough to lay aside whatever that weight is that is hindering you from moving forward in the things of God. What is hindering you from being a good Christian. And then he tells us, also to lay aside the sin which does so easily ensnare us. You know, one thing is a weight, uh, and that's your arrogance and pride. That has to do with you. You need to humble yourself and recognize him, recognize that you're in his presence, recognize what he did for you and the love that he has for you. But here it's saying, then lay aside the sin which does so easily ensnare us. And he didn't say, if you have a sin that has ensnared you, he uh, laid aside. He tells us boldly to lay aside the sin that has so easily ensnared us. In other words, he knows you have a sin. He knows I have a sin that's ensnared us and it's become a habit. It's become an addiction. And he's saying, lay that aside with the, along with the weight. Now, if you're running a race and you got weight on you, you need to take it off, put it on the side yeah. so you can run better and longer and faster. It's the same thing with the, the sin. It's like being ensnared and having a ball and chain and trying to run a race with it. You can't do it. So he's saying, lay these things aside once and for all. Now, I don't know what sin has you ensnared. I don't know the sin that's keeping you from being all you can be for, for Christ. But I do know this, according to Paul, you got one. Amen. Come on, and you know what it is. Yes. We all have one. And I'll tell you how to identify it. It's real easy. Would you like to know? Yes. Good, I'm glad you, you want to know. It's the one that we find ourselves justifying every time God puts a finger on it. It's the one that we make excuses for every time your wife tells you that you're in sin. Yes. That's the one that you have. Yes, it is. Paul says it's a weakness and it's holding you back. Stop justifying it. Yes. Stop making excuses for it to stay. Yes. Lay it aside once and for all. And then he tells us exactly how to do it. He said in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's his joy. That's what he kept focused on. That's what he kept looking at. That was his goal. That was his finish line. And he didn't let any of that other stuff affect him. Look to Jesus for help. Look to Jesus as your example. He endured. How did he endure? But because, like I said, he looked to the future. He didn't, look, he didn't dwell in his circumstances. He didn't dwell on what was happening on the outside, and a lot was happening. Yeah. He just kept looking to the joy that was set before him, being back with the Father on his right hand. Yeah. And when he did, that joy gave him the strength that he needed to endure. Yeah. Amen. 
See, I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell by the look on your face is bad. But the reason you got that look on your face is because you're focused on the problem. You're focused on the circumstances. You're not looking at the end result. You are not where you're going to be. You are just going through something to get where you're going to be, to get where your joy is. Amen. To get where, whatever it is that God has set before you to give you that joy. Don't be focused on the external circumstances. See, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we, we stop looking at the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who started your faith walk and the one who's going to end your faith walk. We're not looking to him anymore. You're not looking to the future and the solution for the remedy of whatever it is you're going through. You, you're focused on the thing you're going through. And there's no joy in that. You're so focused on what's going on in your body that you're allowing external circumstances to affect your internal joy and it's got you turned upside down and twitterbated. You've even lost your confidence in God's ability to get you through because it's something that you can't do in yourself, but God can and you lost your confidence and trust in the one that can do something about it and that's why you don't have any joy. You've lost the joy of the Lord and along with it your strength. Your steadfastness is gone. Your patience is gone. Your endurance has been depleted. Why? Because you let your joy get sucked out of you. Don't dwell on what the doctor said. I get it. I've gotten bad doctor's reports myself, and it will suck the joy right out of you. And along with it, your strength. I'm sorry you got a bad doctor's report, but you can't do nothing about it. But you can do something about the next one, hallelujah, when you go back for your follow-up. Right. Amen. Yeah. History has been written. Forget it. Let it go. Lay it aside and start looking towards your solution. Amen. And start believing God that you're going to have a good follow-up, hallelujah. And there's not going to be a trace of that thing when you go back to the doctor. Amen. Hallelujah. hallelujah. You can't change what's happened, but you can change what's about to happen. Yeah. Look towards the joy that comes with your healing. His joy that was set before him was the throne. Your joy that's set before you at this time is God's assuring you that he's going to heal you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if Jesus could endure the cross for the joy that was set before him, then this little light affliction that you're going through, you should be able to endure. Amen. Amen. (laughs) You may be going through something bad, but you ain't going to get tied to a whipping post and have the flesh torn off your body. Amen. That's right. Are you? You ain't going to get a th- crown of thorns jammed in your head, are you? No, sir. You ain't going to get slap punch and your hair pulled out. And you ain't going to get nailed through your hands and feet and pierced in your side with a sword and nailed to a cross, are you? Right. I hope you can see how light your affliction is compared to what he endured. And I'm sure what you're going through is bad, but it ain't no cross. If Jesus could endure all that for the joy that was set before him, you should be able to endure what you're going through. After all, it's only a test or a trial. Go through it with joy, like James said. Because when you come out on the other side, you're going to come out victorious, lacking nothing. So then you should be able to endure what you're going through because you ain't staying there. That's not your end. God set your end before you and, and, and there's joy in what he set before you. 
There's not a sad report in the future. There's not, your condition is getting worse in the future. The joy he set before you is that he's going to heal you. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God has a future for you. And what you're going through now ain't part of it. Don't dwell on what the finance officer said when he turned you down for that loan. I know it was disappointing. But don't look at the lack that you're facing right now. Don't look at the loneliness you're faced with right now. Don't look at the problem that has you so discouraged and depressed you can't even get out of bed in the morning. Don't look to that. Look to the joy that is set before you. The solution to that thing. You're not going to be lonely all the time. You're not going to be alone all the time. You're not going to be sick all the time. You're not going to be discouraged and depressed all the time. All those things are temporary and subject to change. As soon as you start looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and following his example, uh, and look to the joy that's set before you, rather than where you're at or where you've been, that is not your end. But pastor, what do I do while I'm waiting for the answer? I'm so glad you asked. I'd say do what King David did in Psalms 30. Psalm 30. How many knows David been through some stuff? And yet he said in Psalms 30 and verse 1, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. Before you rescued me, I knew you rescued me. I was looking at the joy that was set before me. I knew you were going to rescue me. It didn't make any difference I was in captivity right now. It doesn't make any difference what I'm going through right now. There's a joy set before me, and that's you are going to rescue me. And then he said, you refuse to let my enemies triumph over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. And then he says, sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. That's what Shannon and Daryl and them was trying to get you to do this morning. And I'm sorry to say it was unsuccessful. Not your fault either. Bunch of grumps this morning. And then in verse 5, I love this. He says, for his anger... Lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And then he says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And let me tell you something. God does get angry, but it's only for a moment. But, but his favor lasts a lifetime. His anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. David made God angry more than once. You made God angry more than once. I made God angry more than once. But thank God it only lasted for a moment, a short minute. Amen. Amen. Thank God it doesn't last long. David learned one thing about the Lord's anger besides it doesn't last long. He, 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 He learned that the Lord's anger only lasted a moment, just one short minute, because as soon as he got angry, along came his favor and overrode his anger. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord's favor. When I get a bad doctor's report, I need the Lord's favor. When I make a bad decision, I need the Lord's favor. 
when my money runs out before the month runs out, I need the Lord's favor. And when that new job is posted, Miss Shannon, I know you ain't here. You need his favor. And when I'm being considered for that promotion, I need his favor. You need God's favor for everything. Amen. See, you didn't get healed because you deserved it. You didn't get that extra money you needed because you deserved it. You didn't get that job that you wanted because you deserved it. You didn't get that promotion because you deserved it. You got all that stuff because of the favor of the Lord that lasts a lifetime. And and you know what? We get caught up in the the external circumstances and we say, oh, I'd never get that promotion. Oh, that raise ain't never going to come through. I ain't never going to make enough money to pay all my bills at the end of the month. And you're negating everything. You, you need to say, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I got the favor of the Lord and it's coming from somewhere. Hallelujah. We want the Lord's favor. Everything you got that you didn't deserve was because of God's favor. And I can name a million things. David said, for his anger lasts only a moment, just for a minute, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And then he said, weeping may endure for a night. It may last through the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Joy is coming in the morning. And I know for a fact, morning always comes. The sun always rises. And I don't know what's caused you to weep. I don't know how long your night has been. But one thing I can tell you is this, that the night is going to end, morning is going to come, and joy is coming with it. Hallelujah. You might be going through it right now, but it will only last till morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Don't quit now. It's almost morning. You only have to endure a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, and morning will come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, it's almost morning. See, God wouldn't have put this here if he didn't know that we were going to get the joy sucked out of us every once in a while. And he's trying to encourage us and say, look, whether it was caused by my anger or something stupid you did or something stupid that somebody else did, it's only going to last a night. This is not your end. This is something you're going through to get to that place that I've set before you, the joy that's set before you. It's almost morning. And then after all this, David gets the big head because he was doing so well that he forgot who was making him prosperous. And he started thinking, nothing can stop me now. And then he says, your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will, I, what will you gain if I die? If I sink into the grave, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? In other words, who's going to testify for you if you kill me? Hear me, O Lord. Have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. And God must have heard his prayer because in the very next verse he said, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. (laughs) So God must have heard him turn the situation around. God will hear you and he'll turn your thing around. He'll turn your mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, into joyful dancing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you won't dance. You won't get up and dance for the Lord. He says, you have taken away my clothes of mourning or, or cloak of mourning 
and clothed me with joy. You know, you can take that off and put on joy. Yes, it comes yes. off like a coat and joy comes on like a coat. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes, Hallelujah. That ain't the only coat you got in the closet. You got a joy, a, a joy coat in the closet you ain't putting on lately. He said that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. See, David, up one and down the next. Up one and level to the ground next. Down once and back up. He was like a roller coaster. But I'll tell you what, he knew where to park that roller coaster every time he got too much of a ride for him. Amen. Amen. God will turn your mourning into joyful dancing. Not just dancing, but joyful dancing. He'll turn your loneliness into joy. He'll turn that sadness and that sorrow into joy. He'll do it if you let him. He wants you to be filled with his joy all the time. But like I said, he knew something was going to come along sooner or later and, and suck the joy right out of you. And it could have been a physical attack, a fight with the spouse, a financial problem. It could be any number of things. But don't let it last long. Yes. Cry out to the Lord. Yes. Ask for his mercy. Yes. Cry out for wisdom. Ask how to get out of this mess. And then look at the joy that's set before you because whether you can see it or not, no matter what God allows you to go through, he always has a joy set before you. And you've got to focus on that. You've got to look to the author and the finisher of your faith and begin to focus on the joy that's set before you. I'm looking, Lord, but I can't see it right now. But it's there. Look again. I'm look. Oh, wait a minute. I do see something. Oh, hallelujah. I see me healed. I see me walking with you. I see this thing behind me. I see the nighttime is gone and the morning has come. I got some joy set before me and quit looking at the circumstances. Hallelujah. And he promised if we can endure the weeping for a night. Now, I know maybe your night is longer than my night. But it might not be talking about a 12-hour night here when the sun goes down and the moon comes up. Maybe your night's a little longer. But I don't care how long your night is. If you look to him, he said weeping will endure for that night. But joy is coming in the morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your healing will be here in the morning. Your breakthrough will be here in the morning. The thing that's got you sorrowful will be gone in the morning. Amen. And so your circumstances are about to change in the morning. And if that's all the joy you can get set before you right now, it's enough. I don't know what it is. I can't see it real clear right now, but I know my circumstances are going to change. And that should give me enough joy right there. It ain't permanent. You ain't where God wants you to be. You're not at your end. You're just going through something. And the key word is through. We don't get stuck in these things. Amen. I don't care how bad it is. God has a joy set before you. Find that joy. Focus on that joy. Run with endurance and steadfastness and patience the race that is set before you. And if you stay on your course, don't try to run nobody else's race. Don't try to run anybody else's course. Don't jump the track or the, the fence in between the other track. Stay in your race and everything you need is before you stay in the will of God for your life and everything you need you'll run right into it you don't have to look for it you don't have to ask for it as long as you're running that race you'll run into it and you'll run into joy every time you need it amen 
You'll run into provision every time you need it. You'll run into protection every time you need it. It's always there. Look into Jesus, the author who started you on the race and the finisher, the one who's going to be there at the finish line. Look on him. Hallelujah. That's all I got for you this morning. Praise the Lord. Joy is important. We need our joy. Amen. Now we come in here next Sunday, you better have joy on your face. And like Mike used to say, if you ain't got it, you better fake it till you make it. Because I'm going to get some holy water and I'm going to baptize this whole church. Amen. Next time we get to sing praises to the Lord, you better be singing them. Hallelujah. Dance a little, run a little, jump a little. You won't make God nervous. You certainly won't make us nervous either. Amen. Let's stand on our feet and pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just love you so much. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. We lift up and celebrate the name of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who loved us enough to die for us, the one that sticketh closer than a brother. Hallelujah. The one that loves us with an unconditional love, a a love that doesn't expect anything in return because what could we give him in return? Hallelujah. He took our filthy rags and he gave us a cloak of righteousness. Hallelujah. He took the, the, the cloak of mourning off of us and gave us a cloak of praise. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you for the, for the ability that you've given us to have the joy of the Lord. It's a gift. We know it's a gift. We know that you don't have to give us anything, but you shower us with gifts. And you give us, first of all, your love. And it's only right that you expect our love in return. And when we do that and we... Get that relationship going between you. The next fruit is joy. Hallelujah. Your joy. You want us full of your joy, that our joy may be full. And God, we got to try to maintain that joy, maintain that fullness, and not allow anything else to squeak in or sneak in or press its way in. And God, when it does sneak up on us, Lord, it's only going to last for a night because our joy is coming right back in the morning. Hallelujah. And we thank you, Lord, that we trust in you and we know that we can count on you, that you're faithful and and you'll always be with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. So even when we're running our race, you're pacing us. You're running right alongside of us, Lord. And all we got to do is continue to look to you and, and we will finish our race and we'll finish it with glory and we'll finish it victoriously and we'll triumph in it. So we thank you and we praise you for the word. Help us keep this joy, Lord. Help some of us to get it. And then help the rest of us to keep it. Hallelujah. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.